Cyber 24 is presented by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and services provider with a drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35-plus years means they have the experience and the expertise to help your business from desktop to the data center. Check them out at vlcm.com. And welcome into another episode of the Cyber 24 Podcast, the weekly pod dedicated to helping business and governmental leaders better understand the often intimidating topic of cybersecurity so you can make better decisions to keep your organization safe. My name is Marty Carpenter, and our guest today is Braun Gondwana. He is the CEO of Fastmail, and he's a former programmer himself, came up through the ranks with the company, and now runs the place. We have a really interesting conversation on tap with him. Uh, he shares his perspective on open standards. Uh, we talk about what that means for email, uh, why businesses should adopt open standards, and the biggest issues facing data privacy today. Hope you enjoy the conversation with Ron Gondwana. I wonder if you could tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your professional journey, and about Fastmail and how you came to be the CEO of Fastmail. Sure. Um, I'm a, a country kid from a tiny little place in Tasmania, Australia, where there were a population of 100 people. So I grew up out in the middle of nowhere. I got my first computer when I was quite young, a Dick Smith VZ300, which is a tiny little thing with 16K of RAM. And living in the middle of nowhere, I had no electricity. So for part of the year when the hydroelectric system that we had out in our little farm wasn't available, I would plug it into a car battery and with no monitor, I would type basic programs into it that would make sound because that was the only way I could tell whether it worked or not. I'd run the program, it would play sounds. Um, obviously, that started my love for programming. And I did a degree in computer science at the University of Tasmania. So I'm actually qualified to do the job that I'm not doing anymore. And then moved over to the mainland in Australia. I was actually living in America doing a clinical trials uh, data management job when I found out that this job at Fastmail was available again. I'd applied for it a year earlier and hadn't got it, but then they contacted me while I was working over here. And I moved back to Australia in 2004. So I've been coming through sysadmin programming, through buying a Philadelphia-based company as one of the part owners of Fastmail after we'd been sold to Opera Software and bought it back, to then... Basically, we didn't have management and we needed it. And I was the person who was aware of, the, aware of the need and willing to do the work to pivot from programming into running the company. And here I am. Well, there's nothing it's better than again. not not being hired by a company only to later become the CEO of that company. So oh, that's great. That, that's a good move. I still have my email I wrote with my job application. It was fantastic. It wasn't <laughs> that they ch didn't choose me. It was just that they didn't get around to to hiring the role. So, well, that's, that's, that's uh, saved some egg on their face at this point. So that's, <laughs> that's good to hear. Um, tell us a little bit about Fastmail itself. What we're, it's secure email and, and that's, yeah. I want to make sure our audience knows uh, what you're working on. So Fastmail was founded back in 1999 now, basically because there was no professional email service at the time. It was either you run a copy of Microsoft exchange in your basement or you well, at the time, there wasn't even the Gmail type things. It was it was that or you had email through a university, that kind of thing. And so it was started as email for businesses. And it was always, the model was always that we would sell accounts to people and they would pay for the account. So we 
in a world where most email services are an add-on, that it's something that that's used to pull in customers to sell them other things, or that's used to collect their data because a lot of valuable stuff goes through email. And if you can mine that and monetize it, then that can certainly pay the cost of running an email account. Um, our approach was always the good, honest service for a fee. People pay us money and we provide them the service. And so privacy naturally fell out of that, that because we're not monetizing people's data, we don't need to drill through it and we don't want to. We, we want to provide them the fastest service that we can, that they get in get what they want to get done and get back off our site. They're not using our resources. We're not wasting their time. So it it's a good synergy there. Yeah. But, it's that old adage that if you're not the customer, you're the product. And in your case, you're saying you're the customer, not the yes, product. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we want. We want customers who want a good email experience and a private email experience. And we have a really good support team because we want them to be able to get their job done. And so if they're having trouble, being able to contact a human who's right here in the same office with the technical staff and can actually solve the problem rather than having to have a script that's basically designed to, designed to fob them off. Yeah, yeah. it does make a big yeah. difference. Um, one of the things we want to talk about today is open standards. And I wonder if you could tell us what <laughs> what open standards means to you and particularly how it relates to email. Sure. Uh, one of my favorite stories from my previous job was that of all the things, I worked on some big projects and I did lots of things that I think probably had no impact on the organization after I left. The one thing that I did that I think has had a long-term impact on that organization was being involved in the date formats. They, as, as someone coming from outside the USA with your ridiculous month, day, year format, which doesn't sort in any sensible way whatsoever, to have been able to get them to standardize on the international standard of year, month, day, as a data transfer format, like write it however you like, but if you're transferring data between systems in a way that needs to be machine readable and usable, then clearly year, month, day is the best format in all sorts of reasons and a full four-digit year. So that had a lasting impact. And so for me personally, as a way to have a lasting impact, standards are very important. But to turn it the other way around for customers, because that's the people who, who care about it and who we're here to serve, there's a couple of really good things about standards. One of which is that email's an open standard that's gone back a long time. And it for me, email's your electronic memory. It's your personal copy of the messages that you've received. They can't change underneath you. But if it's stored in some proprietary format and that company goes out of business or decides that they want to change things around and be incompatible with their previous format, there's no use with a memory that you can't actually recall. If it's in an open standard format that's documented, that can be re-implemented by anybody, then that data is always available to you. You can always find or build or have built for you a tool that will allow you to get into that data and use it with full fidelity. And that's that's a really important part of standards. On the other side, as Fastmail, we we're going for a fairly mass market audience. We're building tools that we think will support a lot of people. And we build as a framework that people can build their own workflows because not everybody has the same workflow they need to do with email. But there's always going to be some things that are just too niche for us to build. If we're providing standard APIs that allow people to connect and do whatever they want with their email, with their own tooling, they can then build the parts of the workflow that we don't provide 
and build out their perfect workflow, knowing again that because it's standard, it won't change underneath them. And if for some reason they decide to move away from us, if it's a standard that's widely supported, they can then take that same workflow, that same tooling they've built and use it somewhere else. And I think that really opens up a lot of possibilities that you don't have in closed ecosystems. So that's the argument for businesses adopting open standards is essentially there's a standard, but it's flexible. Like you can, you know, there's a foundational standard, but then you can tailor it to yourself. Is that what you see as the value or is there more to it than that? Yeah, absolutely. And we call it the N times M problem, which is maybe getting a bit too technical here. But the idea that if you build one client program to access data on a server and you build it for one server provider using their protocol, you can connect your your program only to that one provider and maybe bring along another provider and you add their protocol and then you've got two interconnections. But what you can't do is then create an, another client without having to integrate with each of these individually. And so if you have a common standard, you don't need to build integrations and it multiplies very quickly. You know, if you have 10 clients and 10 servers, you've got hundreds of different ways in which they could be cross-connecting instead of just one standard. So doing things all the same way means that a new entrance to the market can come in at either end, at the server or the client, and work with, not have to go through that integration process with every single other player in the market. And you see that in, in many things, standardization of things like paper sizes. Yes, the US uses a different size of paper than Australia, because we, we do the sensible one and you don't in that particular <laughs> case. But it means that you can take a but you can buy a ream of paper from you know, the office supply store, put it in your printer, and you know it will fit. Can you imagine if every single printer took different size paper and every single store sold different size paper? How how that would scale? And so that would stand, be almost as frustrating. That. that would be almost as frustrating as a printer needing magenta ink when uh -huh. you've never used magenta ink, as far as you know. Right, because <laughs> it's dried out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Standards don't solve all the problems in the world. They just make a lot of things better. Uh, it, it feels like, you know, the internet's been around obviously for a while now. It's sort of integrated itself completely into every facet of our lives and is, is somehow doing that more and more as you get into the internet of things. But there've been like these trends that have come and gone, right? You've seen like MySpace was a thing and then it went away. And for a while, Facebook was the thing. And now, you know, at least well, at least the part of the country I'm in, you'd say, boy, if they hadn't bought Instagram, they'd be in real trouble right now. And there's like yeah. this, this ebb and flow to so many things. But email is essentially in its operation the same. I'm sure behind the scenes, it's it's very technically different, but it's it's so it's a stalwart, right? It's just there. So I'm wondering how email has impacted our online identities and how has it just been this like this rock while social media has kind of come and gone i think i've already answered that question <laughs> because of standards yeah <laughs> because email continues to interoperate it's it's the uh, the original and still the best social network you can send an email to anybody without having to pre-establish a relationship without having to sign any contracts about how you communicate with each other um, and without having to have all the other people buy into using the same, oh, we've all moved to TikTok now. Well, I guess that's the only place that I can communicate. Like, no, I can send from my email system to your email system and be quite sure that it will get through and it will be, and maybe not perfect, um, 
there's certainly issues around email formatting with with some of the more complex formatting and having it appear exactly the same, but it will be understandable. And you will, again, to go back to the electronic memory, you will have that email that I sent to you and I can't change it. I can't go in and edit it later. And an issue that we see a lot with some of the newer social networks is that you can go back and you can edit the message later and change what it says. And that's there's good bits about that for sure, for correcting mistakes, but it's very difficult. If you go to a news site and the article's different than it was yesterday when you read it, it you're wondering, did I misremember it? And that's really tricky. So being able to know that when you go back, it will be the same. It takes a lot of anxiety around knowing what's happening in the world away because you know that I don't have to remember this because I can go back and refer to it and it will still be there in full fidelity, the same message that I saw. The demand has never been greater for business owners and IT professionals to invest in intelligent security camera systems. At the intersection of physical security and cybersecurity, an increasing number of organizations struggle to take a proactive approach to surveillance. Verkata's all-in-one physical security platform makes this decision easy with features like plug-and-play installation, centralized management, secure remote access to cameras, and smart features and alerts. Smarter security starts with Verkata. Learn more at vlcmtech.com slash Verkata. That's vlcmtech.com slash V-E-R-K-A-D-A. Using Microsoft 365 for your business productivity tools certainly has many advantages. Easy, user-friendly accessibility from anywhere at any time, simplified email access, and reduced costs of business operations and management. However, the migration and use of Microsoft 365 isn't without security risks. Barracuda Essentials provides the industry's most comprehensive security and data protection solution for Microsoft 365. With Barracuda, you can stop spam, viruses, prevent data loss, and turn employees into a line of defense against phishing attacks. For peace of mind, learn more about Barracuda Essentials for Microsoft 365 at vlcmtech.com. That's vlcmtech.com. Because we use our email addresses as usernames on so many things, it really becomes like a part of your identity. And I think those of us who are probably your age, my age, we're probably somewhere in the same within it, you know, give or take five years, we're probably about the same age. Uh, you know, you, we may have had it like a slightly less sophisticated email address earlier in our lives, or maybe you've made the switch. I know I was a Hotmail guy and then became a Gmail guy. And, you know, clearly after today, I need to go be a Fastmail guy. Oh, obviously. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, why haven't that, you done it? already you've already uh, yeah, I was, with a couple of people from this company I, I demand to meet with the ceo of a company before All right. <laughs> before i log into their product so what 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 role does that have i guess with like your online identity and how does email play into the importance of protecting your identity online or you know just even i'd love your comments just on generally what users should be doing to protect their online identity yeah i i think we have a podcast of our own here at Fastmail, um, which you've spoken with Rick. He's a fantastic host and gets some really good guests on. And the first two episodes of this season with, with, have been with Troy Hunt, who is the uh, runs a, a site called Have I Been, which is it's a it's a funny whimsical name, but the basic concept is collecting data about breaches 
of lots of companies have had their data breached for various reasons. Computer security is a very interesting field in lots of ways. We're moving fast in the internet world and, and in many cases data gets leaked. And in there, in that dump is your email address, often as the primary identifier. And so that site allows you to register email addresses or even entire domains to say, notify me if my email address or email address that my domain have been mentioned in a data breach. So data about these people has been leaked. And so, yeah, in that case, it's very valuable not to use the same identity everywhere where you don't want data to be cross-correlated between different sites. I mean, back in the bad old days before password managers and before good password advice, people would use the same password on every single site. And also password storage was these days, generally it's it's stored in a way that makes it hard to decode the original password from it. But in the past, often they were stored in clear text. So if someone breached a site where you had used a password that you used, they would have your username and your password and could just log in everywhere else with no work. And so in that case, being able to link the data is, is really bad. So what we recommend and have for many years at Fastmail is that you create a separate alias or you you could create a domain that would allow you to create any username you liked at. So you could create a different email address for every single site and then use those email addresses and both tell where if your email address had been leaked and you were getting spam, you could tell it had gone there, but also it would mean it would be harder to correlate you. And so last year, we formed a partnership with 1Password, who are one of the best password managers and the ones that we use. And you can now, when you're using 1Password to fill in a form, say, I want to create a new email address, which we called masked email, because it hides your identity from that site. And then it will create a brand new email address for you and tag it in our system to say who you gave that email address to. So if you receive emails to that address, you know where it came from, or if it gets seen in a data breach, you know where that data came from because you created it for that one site. It's not new, but we've always had the ability for you to create aliases in the Fastmail system, and you could create something that didn't have your name on it, so there's no way to, to cross-identify it with you. The difference is it's now so easy that it's a natural choice. Before, you would have to go log into Fastmail, create an alias, set up the exact details of how you wanted that to be, and then you'd need to copy it into the other site. And you'd have to label the alias at the Fastmail end to say which site. It's just a bunch of work, enough work that it, it was a hurdle that people would only jump if it was really a big deal. But now it's so easy that it's the natural choice and making security things that easy is an important part of what we're doing at Fastmail in lots of different ways. A lot of our audience is uh, made up of business leaders and governmental leaders who you know, find the general idea of cybersecurity to be like an intimidating topic, but one that they recognize as something that they need to understand. So I'd love your perspective on what lawmakers should be thinking about regarding legislation that protects people's online identity. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things, and lawmakers are starting to be aware of this, is that storing data is risky. If if you have a lot of personal information about people sitting around on your systems, then it, it, it can wind up being breached. And when it does, it's out there and, and you can't take it back. So when in doubt, don't store it in the first place. Um, 
and the other thing, as I was just saying with the master emails that we have and similar systems, a lot of Apple have something for this, Firefox have something for this. A lot of companies are, are building this kind of facility to allow you to reduce the cross-linkage between the data that's stored about you by different sites so that they can't be correlated if if they leak out. And I, it is a difficult thing for lawmakers to kind of thread the needle there because what you don't want is to lock in exactly how things are being done now as, as the one true way and make it very difficult for new entrants and for for new ideas to come through, for new innovation to happen. So it's it's definitely a challenge there. Um, I think there have been moves that have gone a little bit too far in, in ways the European GDPR has some great things about it, also has some very difficult compliance that I don't think adds actual privacy for people. So that's always a challenge, finding things that are, are meaningful and that work. So yeah. I don't, I don't have, I don't have a magic. <laughs> if if I knew exactly what to do, I would, yeah. I would uh, go do that instead of well, this. It's an interesting perspective, though. Like you, you talk about the attempts so far to improve uh, privacy, or I, I think mostly what the end user sees. You know, a non-tech person just sees. Well, now every time I go to a website, I got to click something saying I accept cookies. Yeah, I don't really have a choice. I either have to, I either can't see the website or have to accept the cookies. So, what was, <laughs> what did this really accomplish other than make it, you know, that maybe one... just one second, but one second of annoyance difference for me. It is so bad. Yeah. Right? That that is that is one of the the ridiculous cases where it was not well thought through, not well understood, and it adds yeah absolutely no benefit to anybody, but it causes so much friction. Yeah. So, so. Um, please I'll, please don't do that if yeah. <laughs> to any of your listeners who are, <laughs> who are thinking in charge about of policy, that. That's not the way to go. Uh, I think you've touched don't, on. Don't this ask a bit. the user to make. Well, actually. To go into that a little bit more, don't ask the user to make uh, difficult security decisions where they need to understand a lot about it in the situation where they're trying to get something else done and, and they're most likely to, to click. And it's also kind of once they've made that decision, they can't take it back. And so giving people that kind of prompt in that kind of situation is the worst possible thing for security because they they have a difficult choice and it's an easy choice. They just say yes, yeah. because that's the only thing they can do to get their work done. Uh, one exception to that I can think of just in my normal workflow, occasionally something will pop up um, on an app on my phone or maybe it's on you know, within Safari or something on my computer and it'll say, you know, do you want, do you want them to uh, allow them to track you? But there's the option of yes, always, no, always, or just for yes for today. And that's yep. like, that's all I want. Yeah, yes for right now. Yeah, <laughs> that's signing a lifetime contract to this. Yes yeah. for now, and let's move on. I think that like simple little changes like that seem to make a big difference. Yeah, that's good. Now, um, you've touched on this a bit, but I want to give you a chance in case there's anything else you want to touch on with this. But what do you see as like the biggest issues related to an individual's data privacy today? Uh, I mean, the biggest issue by far is that to really interact in the world you have two choices you can go for maximum privacy and just be left out of a lot or you give away everything there's no good middle ground um i i have a rant about the australian identity 
system many years ago. For privacy, we didn't create a, an Australia card with a single ID number. And now we have a situation where government departments have to ask you all the time for your personal information because they have legislated amnesia. They're required to forget things they know about you. Everybody else knows it. Everybody else is using this data. And yet you have to tell the government over and over again because they're not allowed to remember you. And that's that's, that's kind of the worst of everything. Yeah. So trying to avoid that that situation where I would prefer to have the privacy, but I would certainly not prefer to have the hard work and not the privacy. Yeah. Does my privacy always have to come with a hassle for me or can we yeah. do it in a way that's user friendly? It's that end user experience that every business and particularly tech businesses are generally really focused on and do a great job at is how do we make it great for the end user? The government is traditionally not as good at that. They struggle with it. And it's yeah. because they feel like they have to make it the same for everybody, at least in you know many parts of the world. Yeah, which is a good, it's a good reason to do things, making it fair and equitable for everybody. Uh, the challenge there is making sure that it fits in with the world as well, that you're not, yeah. not coming up with ridiculous complications that, that don't work for people. Yeah, absolutely. There's a balance there to be found for sure. Um, Bron, I wonder if we wrap up, uh, let, could you just tell people where they can follow you personally or Fastmail online or where they can go find out more about Fastmail? Check out your website. Uh, if you search Bron Gondwana, I'm basically that everywhere, except as as you said, with uh, email addresses and, and your identity, my university, rather than giving me B Gondwana, gave me Bron G or Brong. So... <laughs> I'm either that, if it's available, and if sites will let me have five letters, or I'm Bron Gondwana pretty much everywhere. So Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, I'm just Bron G, but I don't really use those for work. It's Twitter is Twitter is where I'm at. I don't post much, um, but yeah, fastmail.com is the place to go. Sign up for a 30-day free trial and, and try out our product, which I believe you've now promised you will do. Yeah, you bet. Um, yeah, and yeah, check us out. And well, let us know. Certainly, you can tweet to at Fastmail on Twitter with any comments about the product when you try it out or contact our support team. Sounds great. Uh, Bron Gondwana, thanks so much for your time today. He's the CEO of Fastmail. He went from they couldn't get around to hiring him to now he runs the place. And we appreciate you taking some time with us, Bron. And enjoy <laughs> your time in the US. And when you head back to Australia, safe travels to you. Great. Thank you, Marty. Thanks for the chat. That'll do it for this episode. I want to thank our sponsors at Valcom. At Valcom, you get much more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team. Whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and more productive. Check them out at vlcm.com. That's vlcm.com. Special thanks as well to our supporting partners, the Utah Division of Technology Services, the Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute, the Utah Attorney General's Office, the Utah Department of Public Safety, and our friends at Secuvant. A reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at Cyber24 underscore, or you can hit us up on Facebook as well. We want to hear from you in either place to let us know what you think, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on a future episode. You can also rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. We love those five-star ratings. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week and stay safe online.